You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location at Cinema Jaw Studios in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Rye the Movie Guy, and sitting alongside us is Phil Me and Phil. Hello! This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we get excited for the fall movies and recap the Toronto International Film Festival with our blockbuster episode fall movie preview here on Cinema Jaw. Uh, I have two orders of business at the top here, Ryan. First, I have to give a shout out to my friend David Coote, who has written comments that you've read and mispronounced his last name. Coote? Yeah. Yeah, I've never read a Coote. You have. <laughs> I, I think it was just a few episodes ago. He, he sent me a box of Atari games. I'm starting like a vintage side hustle. And thank you, David. There you go. Second question, now that we're getting into the fall, have you had a pumpkin spice latte? I have not. I bought... I are have, you a pumpkin spice latte stan? I, I mean, are you... I, no, I don't go crazy. I know there's people that get so excited that Starbucks starts serving these. There's a line out the door. It's well, now you can ridiculous. get them everywhere, yeah. I do have a Nespresso machine, which I believe you have we one do, as well. Yeah, long story, but yes, yes. I got one. But Nespresso does make a pumpkin... Uh, something other coffee that they release right around and i bought a sleeve of it that's about as far as i'll go i'll have like one two i'm not the biggest pumpkin guy you i mean yeah i have my my requisite pumpkin spice latte once a year and then i'm done with it it's it's good and i like it but you know one's enough what what i get most excited for it's like the shamrock shake you know what i get most excited for is being able to put on like a sweatshirt or sleeves (laughs) at night it's my favorite look you know yeah Um, me too i'm looking over at phil this is what i'm talking about I got I got my hoodie on my chair in the office. We got a nice sleeves on Phil. It's something that you can like throw in your bag, mm-hmm. and then like as the day goes on and you get into night, it might cools be down it might be chilly, and you throw those, those sleeves on. I love that. I that do too. Stuff that makes me excited for fall and Halloween and all that good stuff too. Not to mention great movies. Speaking of great movies, Ryan, you just got back from Toronto. I did. You attended the uh, Toronto International Film Festival. I sure did, Matt. Better known as TIFF. I'm, let's, let's, I am going to talk about that in one second. Just other things we are going to talk about on the show, though, we should oh, okay. mention. We are reviewing A Haunting in Venice. Yeah, the new Kenneth Branagh, Agatha Christie adaptation. Yes, and in honor of Michelle Yeoh month, we are playing Yo. Michelle Yeoh movie trivia. Stump the Kabinsky, since we don't have a guest. Five questions on Michelle can I can I do the whole trivia segment in the voice of Sylvester Stallone? No, please. No. Go, Yo. <laughs> so before uh, I don't know. Before I talk about Toronto, let's kick it off with the Michelle Yeoh fact, since it's still, since we are still celebrating her this month. Yes, uh, and we are continuing to celebrate her career with more of her badassery, similar to the last episode. Because, uh, like, dude, is there anything this woman can't do? Like, she no. is super good at getting into fights uh but we have like a little bit of a i don't want to call it a slip up or like a a a a goof uh while filming the cantonese film the stunt woman in 1996 michelle yo did injure herself during the shoot and almost broke her back which is like a a, Mm. that's a tough that's a career ender yeah yeah. big time uh and that just ask batman that accident led her to questioning her her career choices uh she recalled and i quote you're lying there and you think okay maybe it's time to think of something else do i go back to school do i do this or that <laughs> I, those are i ask myself that and i don't even break my back uh quentin tarantino who is a big fan of michelle yo's like we all are visited her 
visited her while she was in recovery and he was breaking down his favorite action sequences that she did frame by frame and she said that action renewed her love for acting thank you quentin thank you she went on to say i thought to myself you know i do love this work i'm not going to give it up i'll just find ways to make it safe for myself and i think that that's that is good i you know i think that's super relatable for all of us to kind of get discouraged and we can live by michelle Yeoh's example and never give up the things that we love cinema jaw's still here Indeed, yeah. Those those Hong Kong uh, movies can have some pretty dangerous stunts. Hundred oh, percent. And they don't have the same safety standards that they do in Hollywood. You know, like like Jackie Chan. Watch some of his interviews. He's got some stories. Mm, I'm sure. The other fascinating thing about that fact, Phil, is Quentin Tarantino is just visiting people in the hospital. Uh, Good for him. Can we dig around more here? Does he find fellow actors that have been injured and he goes and visits these people? He's, he's like the silver screens make a wish. They don't get to see Spider-Man. They're just like, we brought Quentin in to see you before before you kick the bucket. The best Quentin Tarantino story I ever heard came from Adam Fendelman of HollywoodChicago.com. And I won't tell the story. I'll let him do it. I'll just say that it involves LSD and a urinal. It's a nice tease. Right? Like all great stories we gotta, do. We got to get Adam back on to tell that story. I, I have not even seen Adam at the screeners uh, in the longest time. I saw him at Bo's Afraid, and he bought me a popcorn. Did he? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yep. Love it's been, But it's been a minute. Yeah. That was, what, in February? Right. So, yeah. A little while ago. So, yes, Matt, you asked about Toronto, and I did go for the start of the Toronto International Film Festival. This is my fourth time covering the fest. Wow. Wow. Crazy, Good for you. Right? Yeah. So three times in Toronto, one of them was remote during the uh, odd COVID year of Oh, we don't count that. Yeah. Third time going. Everything went smooth going out there. Saw a lot of Chicago people, which is what makes it so great is there's, uh, A, I'm familiar with the city. I'm familiar with the fest, the theaters and so forth. But then also there has got to be, I mean, off the top of my head, somewhere like 10 to 12 people that I know from Chicago that end up going to Toronto to cover the fest. Is it very spread out or just a few venues? So it's mainly uh, very well contained. So the main street, they call it Festival Street, which is King Street in uh, Toronto, they close it down for the first four days. And they have bands uh, that play at night. And the about three theaters, which are where they do the premieres, are all located on that street, which makes it nice. So that's why if you see these pictures or video of the red carpets, those are literally about two blocks from each other with three big theaters. And when I say theaters, not movie theaters, but, you know, places that could do like stand-up a comedy, a playhouse, yeah, yeah, things that can hold thousands of people. Those are all in a, a row. And then you have the TIFF Lighthouse, which is sort of the ground zero for the fest that is a movie theater and also has conference rooms that's housing some screenings and then about four blocks away they take over a whole multiplex much like our amc 21 they take about over that size about that size uh i would say actually even a little bit bigger and they take over the whole entire thing and it's just you know from eight in the morning till midnight screenings of movies I, over 200 feature films i think screened at the Toronto International Film Festival. It is a ton. So you're, you've got press passes, and we'll circle back around to that. But I want to ask a little bit about the party scene. You said 8 o'clock in the morning. Are you getting to these 8 o'clock in the morning 
screenings or are you like red eyeing it? And I'm a professional, and I, I I burn the candle on both ends because you know I I like to have a beer and talk movies and shop with you know fellow critics and and so forth after the movies. So yes, but you get to bed at a reasonable hour. I would usually go to bed around one in the morning. That's yeah decent. I decent. mean I wasn't staying up much later than I think the latest night I had was about one forty five in the morning, but I would be getting up, you know I. Cinema Jaws budget on on is shrinking here, Matt. So I was staying a little ways from the fest at an Airbnb. So by the time I would have to get up and then either bike or walk almost a mile to the fest area, I got to leave the house for like an eight in the morning screening. And you want to line up at least thirty minutes ahead of time. So I'm leaving the, the you know the Airbnb by seven in the morning. <sighs> that is early. Yeah, screw that. Coffee in hand, breakfast bar, watch a movie, another coffee another movie, and then go home and take a nap. I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of pleasant, right? It is. You don't really have to do much. Right. So it is, the great thing is, it's literally movies, coffee, and beer. That's the way I, I look at a, a week in Toronto. Because, what about the food? And then the food. But I, I will say it's actually difficult to find time to eat because you're running a lot of times in between the screenings. Like, oh, got to catch this. And nobody eats in the movies. And nobody really eats in the movies, no. It's it's pretty quiet. And, it's kind of faux pas. I don't want to say that, but it's it's definitely uh, a more serious crowd because a lot of critics are there, like myself, uh-huh. and there's just more more serious tone in the theaters, which does make it actually, if anything, more enjoyable. But no one wants to be sitting in front of somebody checking their phone or eating nachos. You know? Yeah, big so, bag of Doritos. Right. There's none reaching. of that going on. None of that going on. But um, yeah, I, a couple of movies in the morning, take a break, and then I would see a couple of movies like early evening and then maybe a midnight madness so you're doing quadruple to quintuple features yes four <sighs> movies uh, uh, about three of the days i was there and wow i ran into our friend brian tallarico from RogerEbert.com. he would do sometimes six movies in a day i think he did that two times six movies in a day Whew. that's heavy that's, duty that's that's insane i almost don't think i would enjoy that so I think by the end, I, I went on the fest that started on a Thursday, and I went all the way through to a Tuesday, and I was done by then. It was like, all right, I need a break because I'm not enjoying the movies anymore. You know, saw about 20 films in that time, and in such quick succession. Sometimes you see a couple of stinkers in a row. It's like, oh my goodness, you know. Yeah, I'm tired of. So you're going to take a little the theater. cleanse? No movies this week. I took a couple days off, let's say that. I didn't. I got back, and I, I actually had total free time uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday night. Did you read a book? And uh, I didn't read. I went for a nice walk one day. I watched Ahsoka on, on Disney. It's kind of like watching a movie. Yeah, but it's only a 40 minutes long kind of deal. All right, yeah. Um, played a video game one day and just there sort of go. relaxed. Yeah. You know? You had to, to activate your, your, your brain right. and your muscles. Right. So what does this press pass get you, man? Because I could easily obtain one of these. Oh, yes. we we got to get you out to I know. Toronto. I got to go. I was telling Phil, next year, I think, I'm going to so do It's so much it. fun. But the press pass gets you into all the uh, press and industry screenings, the P&I screenings, which are, they really do run all day. But the focal point, like, in the mornings will be when your big screenings are for the premieres that'll be later on these red carpets and in the big playhouses. They'll do the P&I screenings either the next day after those premieres or earlier in the day before they premiere. And those are just first come, first serve, uh, first come, first serve for anybody who has pass. a press pass. Yeah. And how many presses are there? Uh, it's a lot. I mean, there's theaters that hold like five, 600 
people and it'll fill. So there's at least that, right. that much. Because this is, this is press from around the globe. Oh, 100%. Yep. And then what's great, I rushed. There's another option where you can actually rush for tickets. And what that means is if uh, one of the premieres is full, there's always going to be, you know, 10, 20, 30 tickets that do come available out of the, you know, big seat theater, like 2,500 seats. You're going to get some tickets that come available at last minute. Those are available to anybody who wants to line up and wait in the rush line. But if you don't have a, a, a pass of any sort, you just pay for the ticket. If you have the pass, like I did, that those are also free. And I actually used it this time for Dream Scenario which is the new Nicolas Cage we'll be talking about a little bit later today. I, I, I went, I waited in line for about 90 minutes, talked to the nicest lady from Toronto that was just there as a fan. She takes the week off of work. She buys about 10 to 15 movies, and she just loves cinema, and got to talk to her about, you know, the inner workings of the fest, how she sees it as a, as a fan of, of the movies. She bought her ticket. I got in also. And this was a premiere with Nick Cage in attendance. And it just worked oh, wow. out that I got to get into this particular one. Because if not, what happens then is the next day when you go to those P&I screenings, that dream scenario with Nick Cage is going against something else that I want to see at the same time. So you have to pick and choose. So if you don't get into a premiere at night... You're, you're, you're going to miss one of the two movies that are going against each other on the schedule the following morning. So by sort of doing a premiere at night, you're eliminating another movie the next day that you might have to see at the P&I screenings. Got so it. It's, it's pretty Complicated. Oh, yeah. I mean, you almost got to... Uh, we were talking, you know, between the critics, uh, all the ones that I saw there, like Brian Tallarico, Eric Childress, Robert Daniels. You know, you got to make a spreadsheet. You literally get excited and like see like what's important. Where can you see things at certain times, and then sort of make your, you know, you got to plan your day. Oh, hundred percent. Hmm. Yeah, because you also do got to plan in. I mean, I didn't make a ton of time for lunch, but then you got to figure, hey, I want to, you know, you grab a eat. bite to eat. Um, I shot a few videos for YouTube. There's times where you're like, well, I'll try to do this and get away. And then I do a, a Sunday. I, I got out of the fest completely and went to the distillery district in Toronto. And just did some sightseeing, went to a brewery, you know, just taking the sights and sounds of Toronto um, just for an afternoon. And then I went back at night and watched a movie, which was good. But get a little bit of a break and see Toronto, too. Yeah. So, but um, Sounds like fun, right? So much fun in Toronto that uh, I saw, like I said, 20 films. And my list as we do this fall movie preview is going to consist of movies that I saw at Toronto. A couple of them don't have release dates uh, it's to be determined in the fall, and I'll get to those. But uh, I'll, I'll do my best, Jawheads, to tell you when these are coming out. Matt's five picks are five movies that we're looking forward to in the fall, and that's how we'll do it. I'm going to start because I got a, start. a few extras that I want to like ramp into my number five. Okay. Right? Here we go. At number eight, I have Zone of Interest. This was actually the first movie I saw at the festival this year. It's directed by Jonathan Glazer. So he directed Under the Skin, starring Scarlett Johansson about 10 years ago. He also did Sexy Beast. I oh, talked yeah. about that movie yeah. as well. So I really I really like Jonathan Glazer. He also did Birth with Nicole Kidman. And his new one, Zone of Interest, is actually uh, a Holocaust movie about a German family 
raising their kids in a very nice house that is right outside of Auschwitz. Yikes. And it is really uh, showing you how they just turned a blind eye to the evils that were taking place. And there are just some devastating shots of like kids playing uh, in the backyard uh, amongst themselves in this house. And you can see a, a, a chimney oh, man. inside the, you know, the background, the camps, inside yeah. the camps. I mean, just shots like that or the family waking up and, and smelling stuff, you know, in the air and closing their windows. And the film's not going to work for everybody. It was great to see this one at the festival because it plays so seriously, um, and and you need it to be super quiet. And I think when you're in a theater of like 500 people and and everyone's in tune with the movie, it's just that much more powerful. Played really well. Might not be for everybody. That's why I put it at number eight. Number seven on my list: Flora and Son, starring Bono's daughter. Did you yeah. even know Bono had a daughter? I didn't until I saw your review on YouTube. <laughs> Unbelievable. This one is directed by John Carney. He did like Sing Street, the right, movie right. once. He's always doing music, like, movies. music movies. And Flora and the Sun is the same. Uh, this one comes out on Apple TV at the end of the month. It also stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, Bono's daughter is Eve Hewson, by the way. Number six is Dream Scenario. This is the premiere I got into starring Nicolas Cage. And he plays a regular kind of Joe Schmo teacher, you know, uh, bald balding guy and he for some reason starts appearing in everybody's dreams around the world as just a regular guy he's just walking around in people's dreams when they go to bed and he becomes an instant celebrity the subtext here is talking about how people become a celebrity and then when they start having nightmares about him maybe about how cancel culture works really interesting very interesting and it's downright hilarious i mean this this is awesome this is a24 um nicholas cage and a24 sold yes this sold one, this one comes out november 10th okay and I i'm in absolutely enjoyed the hell out of it cage was there and he talked about this being one of the five perfect scripts that he's done and he went on to name them he had adaptation in there he had leaving las vegas he had pig and he had vampire's kiss and now he has dream scenario as he said i've made a lot of great movies but a lot of it happens in the editing room or you know other people's magic really makes it. He was like, these are the five movies that I didn't want anything changed from the script. Like, this is just brilliant. Let's just film exactly what's on the page. And this one worked. It was, uh, it was a riot. So do look for Dream Scenario, November 10th. That was my eight, seven, and six. So now we can go back and forth with our top five. So Matt, does that, you want me to kick it off officially? Yes. Your number five film that you're looking forward to this fall, man. All right. I have not seen these. That's the caveat, because nobody has. They're not out yet. This one comes out October 12th, if I'm not mistaken. Stars Anne Hathaway, Marissa Tomei, and Peter Dinklage. Sold right there. The 100%. name of the movie is She Came to Me. The premise of this is um, Peter Dinklage and Anne Hathaway are a couple. She is a a meticulously neat freak therapist, and he is an opera director, writer, okay? He's got writer's block, can't come up with his next opera, so he meets Marissa Tomei, who is a tugboat captain, and perhaps a murderer, and she is becomes his muse. And I guess from the trailer, I, I ensue that some sort of relationship happens that's that's sexual in nature. So it's a love triangle between... 
Peter Dinklage, <laughs> Anne Hathaway, and Marissa Tomei. Oh my goodness. Yes. Cannot wait for this. I love Dinklage. I, I love all the actors you've named there. Same. And I actually have not seen the trailer for this, so I It looks really good. I will have to watch this it, after we get done recording. It's, it's, so what they're positioning this is, is a, uh, a new take on the rom-com. It's like a rom-com subverted. Okay. So we'll see if it lives up to that. Nice. Good pick at number five. One to look forward to there. My number five pick, uh, fifth best film and most excited for the Jawheads to see that I saw in Toronto is called Hitman. And this is one of those that doesn't have a date other than uh, just to be determined this fall. And this is Richard Linklater's new one. And it stars Glenn Powell, who is just emerging as uh, the next big movie star. He was in Top Gun Maverick. He was also in Devotion. And he was in Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some. And that was more or less where he got his start. And this guy's definitely blowing up. And this film shows his talent, uh, I mean, through the roof. I mean, this guy really is going to be something. He plays a a teacher who works part-time for the police department. And he ends up being an undercover agent that is uh, positioning himself as a hitman. That people are coming to to give them to give him money to knock off either their wife or business partner, and then an arrest is made. But what happens is he ends up falling in love with one of the people that come to see him. This woman, a client or a, a client, target, okay. a client okay. comes to say, "Hey, I want my husband knocked off," and he talks her out of it. And it's because the chemistry between them on this meeting is is clearly there. She clearly likes him. He likes her. He talks her out of it. And then around everybody's back, he ends up starting a relationship with her. And I'll just say this, ends up she's not divorced, and her husband finds out, and he wants to hire a hitman to knock off the guy that's dating the... <laughs> you see where this is A hitman to kill the hitman? <laughs> it was funny, very well written, and you get these like little like vignettes of the characters he would play as he says, you need a hitman that would be suitable to do the job. So he's like undercover doing like ridiculous characters that match like the the clientele that are coming to uh, seek his services. So funny, uh, very enjoyable. Hitman Richard Linklater does it again. This is a this is a good one. Again, to be determined on a release date, but it will be out this fall. All right, Ryan. My number four is the new one from David Fincher, who is consistently amazing. I can't think of a David Fincher film that I hate. You know. There's some that I like more than others. Some of his movies are among my favorites of all time. Mm-hmm. And this one looks to be pretty interesting. It's It stars Michael Fassbender, and it's about a hitman who's, uh, you know, kind of going through his emotional journey uh, and his detachment from humanity. And it is called The Killer. From what I can tell, this is coming out on Netflix on November 10th. I, d- I don't know for sure if it's getting a theatrical run. I hope so. Uh, yeah, I think they're going to. It's probably like a week or two ahead of that. I know Netflix, with their big fall releases, and this being one of them, likes to put them in the theater for at least a couple of weeks. Yeah, so look for this in early November, late October. I, I We hadn't seen Michael Fassbender, it feels. in, a, in a, It's been a while. A right? long time. And I've watched the trailer for this one. I love Fincher. I love Fassbender. And it seems like Fincher going back to that 
era of Seven or maybe even Zodiac. Fight Club Seven. Right. Gone Girl. Yeah. I love when he gets into those. So, yes, I'm super excited for this. I know this did not play at Toronto. It did play or is going to play at Chicago International Film Fest. So maybe we'll, we'll catch it early. Maybe. We probably will. Yeah. Nice pick. Uh, my number four that I absolutely adored, I love Anna Kendrick. Who doesn't? She made her directorial debut, and this movie in Toronto, screened at the time, had no distribution at, at Toronto. Netflix has purchased the movie for $11 million. That's great for Anna Kendrick. Yes. Anna Kendrick directed a movie called Woman of the Hour. Okay. And it is, uh, she stars in it and directs it. And it is about a, based on a true story of a serial killer in the 1970s was in the middle of his killing spree and he went on the television show The Dating Game. Yeah. That was somebody, that was like a really famous serial killer. I know he's got a name, you know, a nickname. I know he has a nickname as those serial killers always do. Can we throw that in the jaw box? Throw it in the, in the, in the fish tank. In the fish tank. Wow. I'm going way back. Who is the serial killer from The Dating Game? No. Which serial killer? Went on the dating game. Yeah, in real life. Right. So this this guy, while he was in the middle of his spree, was one of the bachelors. So you would have like a girl, and then there would be three bachelor eligible bachelors. Bachelor number one. Right. Yeah, I'm familiar with the show. Yes, and he ended up winning a, a date with that woman. He was the one that he picked. It's fascinating. But the I way think I remembered which one, but we'll, we'll allow Phil their moment of glory. The way Kendrick structures this film is brilliant. So the dating game is the centerpiece, and it's the the whole production of it. Tony Hale from Arrested Development uh, plays the host, gives a little bit of humor to the the moment. But basically, you're getting um, an actress who Anna Kendrick plays is given the opportunity to go on a date with a serial killer, right? (laughs) Basically, right. So she's going to go on the the uh, the dating game, and then. In between that is all of the other murders that he has done either before or after the dating game. But the dating game is a key to the investigation getting closer and closer to catching who this guy actually was. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Zac Efron may have also portrayed this person. Really? Yeah. Unless I'm wrong. Okay. No, I think that was, um, who was the one that everyone said was really charming? Yeah. That's the one I'm talking about. Right, it's definitely not him. Okay. That's is that Gacy or no? No. Gacy was the clown. Oh yeah, that was the clown. I'm terrible. That's a I'm, Chicago one. How I'm, do you not know that? I'm not into my serial killers. Come on, Ryan. Honest. It's yeah. almost Halloween time. Sorry. But my number four pick, Woman of the Hour. That was the other one that was to be determined on uh release date. All right. That brings us to our number threes. I'm gonna get us started here with the new one from Martin Scorsese. Everyone's excited for this. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Jesse Plemons, Lily Gladstone, Robert De Niro, Brendan Fraser, among others. Um, If Marty's making a movie, anyone who's anyone is in it. Uh, It comes out October 20th, Ryan. And it's it's based on a a, a true story. Takes place in the 20s. Members of the Osage uh, Native American tribe of Osage County, Oklahoma, are murdered after oil is found on their land. And it's one of the first cases of um, then, I believe, then agent J. Edgar Hoover, FBI agent. So this is uh, like sort of a career maker. It's, it's a, a chapter in American history that is um, all about 
sadness and greed and exploitation, revenge, and it looks, you know, like it's going to be the movie, one of the movies we're talking about during Oscar time. Sure. Killers of the Flower Moon. I believe it's also an adaptation of a book. I read the book. And? <clears throat> Excellent. Oh. Well, I mean, the story, I, I'm so interested to see how Scorsese depicts the, the story on screen because the, the book, while fascinating in its own right, um, it was not what I saw when I watched the trailer uh, that is out there now. I'm much more excited for the, the movie. But I was fascinated that this was really the birth of the FBI. Like, literally... So many people were, were getting killed, and the, the crime was just going up and up and up to the point where you couldn't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, there's nobody to trust anymore because everybody's in on this crime. So you need to start some type of agency that can go into a town or go into somewhere and, and be the actual law. Yeah. And they needed the They federal, needed the FBI. The Federal Bureau of Investigation. You know what I've just put together? Scorsese adapts books pretty much right quite a bit quite a bit i mean summer sam is really the only one that pops into mind that i don't think is an adaptation can we throw that in the fish tank how many of scorsese's films are book adaptations i'm gonna say 90 percent of them wow all right we'll see my number three pick is a return to form for one paul giamatti Oh, so nice to have him back. I, we, I, I thought I saw him in an insurance commercial playing Einstein. <laughs> Pretty sure that was him. It is him. That is him. Okay. I love Paul Giamatti, and one of his best roles, let's be honest, is Sideways. And that was directed by Alexander Payne. The two of them have not worked together since. It's been 19 years. The, it, it seems ludicrous that these two wouldn't make another movie. They have reteamed up for a movie called The Holdovers. And that is my number three pick. This one comes out October 27th. Paul Giamatti plays a teacher at a, a boarding school that is tasked with staying at the school on campus to watch over the kids who couldn't go home for a holiday around Christmas time. And there are about six students that need to stay with them. Eventually, five of those students have somewhere to go, leaving him with one student. And it is sort of a throwback to the uh, classic story of a teacher um, that, that actually is in need of, you know, a, a kid and the kid who really does need a father figure coming together and sort of forming their own kind of family. Wonderful, heartwarming, touching, touching uh, hilarious. I think I can call this one Oscar nomination for Paul Giamatti. He really? Was excellent in this movie. Wow. And it is right up his alley. He's always using like big words or quoting authors. Uh, the character just fits Giamatti so perfectly. It was a joy. Yeah, Giamatti, like I said, playing Einstein in an insurance commercial, and I'm like, man, how the mighty have fallen. So it's it's good to see him back. Yes, and I, I sent out a tweet or an Instagram on story, and I had said, you know, Paul Giamatti, Alexander Payne, let's not wait another 19 years to work together again. I mean... No shit. You guys got something here it's a great collaboration let's let's get the next one in the next five years you know yeah sideways one of my favorite movies man love that movie all right ryan i i'm you, you i might get a little bit of crap for putting this one above martin scorsese but i'm i'm gonna stick to my guns on this because i'm a little bit more interested to see this you talked about a great collaboration with alexander payne and uh, Paul Giamatti, and I totally agree. But what about Yorgos Lanthimos 
and Emma Stone. That is a fantastic collaboration. Oh, yeah. And it is back in full effect with the movie called Poor Things. Now, I encourage everybody, if you have yet to see the trailer, go ahead and see this trailer because it is, even the trailer is just some kind of weird, phantasmagorical acid trip. It, that's what it looks like. It, it switches between black and white and just a kaleidoscope, and it's weird. Uh, Defoe is playing sort of a, a Frankenstein doctor, for, and he kind of looks like Frankenstein's monster, who brings Emma Stone's character back to life, and she has to relearn everything. And this movie's about her adjusting to society, filtered through the twisted brain of Yorgos Lanthimos, who also famously gave us The Favorite, which was their first collaboration, and uh, movies like Dogtooth and um, The Lobster. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's bonkers to begin with. And I think this might be a bit of a comedic turn. Like, the, from the trailer, it doesn't seem to have that disturbing edge that a lot of his movies have. It looked like a little bit more fun than your average Yorgos Lanthimos movie while still having some of that twist to it. They, they all are dark comedies, though, right? I mean, the True. favorite was hilarious. So is the Lobster. The Lobster, hilarious. And even Dogtooth, as disturbing as it was, I was still laughing quite a bit. It, this, I wanted to come to Toronto, but it went to Venice. These film festivals compete against each other, and it did win the top prize at Venice. So I am super excited. I mean, anytime Yorgos Lanthimos has a movie, I'm in. But I'm right with you. I think this could be the the start because, yes, they did the favorite. But if they do poor things now, and who knows what's to come between him and Emma Stone. Emma Stone is a producer on this. Oh, great. Isn't that interesting? Um, This comes out December 8th. Can't wait for that one. Mark your calendars. I'm super, super excited. That would actually almost be my number one. I don't know what you got sitting at one. I'm excited for it, though. I got a good one. All right. My number two film that I saw at the Toronto International Film Festival is directed by the master himself, Hayao Miyazaki. And that is, I know you're going to laugh at the way I say. Just say it the way you say it. The boy and the Huron. (laughs) (laughs) The boy and the what? Huron. You see, now you're couching it. You were like, in the video, you're like, Huron. Huron. (laughs) Which my joke is like, I expect to see a muscle-bound bird bust out (laughs) with a sword battle axe. Huron. So this, this was my most anticipated movie going into Toronto. And this was one of those that I had to get up at like 6.45 in the morning Oof. Um, and get to the fest early. I didn't, but that's I was worth not, it. Oh, yeah. I was not going to miss this. And it was the only press and industry screening that I could make while I was there. There was one later in the week, but I already was going to be out of town. So I knew I had to see it. And uh, I got there, got there in time. Now, this one, uh, Jawheads, comes out December 8th. So mark your calendars. And I, I got there on time and got in there. I loved being able to catch this at like a huge festival screening because this is another one where it's absolutely packed. Everybody's there uh, with such an appreciation for Miyazaki, uh, such an appreciation for um, the animation on the screen that it was just like a perfect audience. You know what I mean? Like you, you really want to just soak it in for as long as you can and i think like everybody had that same mind frame like let's enjoy this more than likely this is his last film it is somewhat of a farewell uh letter by miyazaki there's a character in the film that clear as day kind of like an avatar yeah Yeah. that is an avatar for uh miyazaki and and some of the words of wisdom that he 
passes on is a character uh, wrestling with and coming to terms with his mortality. He knows he's he's nearing the end of you know his career and his life and his his words of wisdom that he's going to pass on, and it's just a, you know a big emotional beat. I mean, this guy's a genius. The animation always fantastic. The worlds he creates are are you know crazy. It reminds me very much of Spirited Away, and for me that's a good thing because that's my top Miyazaki. So I'm I'm right there. I'm like, hey, I heard a lot of people say that as like a negative. Oh, it's too much like Spirited Away. Well, all right, Spirited Away is in my top twenty greatest films of all time. So I'm okay that it's like Spirited Away. Has the dream world sequence. Um, there's a lot to like here. You were raving about this in your in your YouTube yeah. video. I, I have one which more. Which is available on CinemaJaw. Check it out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have one more that I, I'm going to get to that I'll, I'll explain why it came in at number one. But um, I love this film. I, I will say in December 8th, it's going to be, uh, will not be the English dub. There is supposed to be one down the line. They I do do that. It's okay to watch subtitles. 100%. But I was going to say to the Jawheads, do try to check it out in a theater. Um, the sound design's great and the animation looks great. Um, it, it's it's a masterpiece, I would say. All right, I'm I'm in. Uh, so who do you put above Martin Scorsese and your Yorgos Lanthimos? I, I'm trying to think what other big film is coming out. Oh, there is one more big one. Yes, it's coming out November 22nd. Just dawned on me. Right around the end of the year, uh, it stars Joaquin Phoenix mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Vanessa Kirby, among others. It is directed by Ridley Scott who gave us Blade Runner and too many others to name. Napoleon, the story of Napoleon, the 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 lover, the fighter, the emperor, Napoleon. I'm not going to go into it, you know? It's 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 the period piece about Napoleon's rise to power and I guess his subsequent fall. I don't know if that's part of the film or not. We'll find out. I saw the trailer. <laughs> I was so excited. It, it it looks bonkers. I mean, it looks epic. Yeah. I, I love movies that have that feeling like it's just bigger than you can imagine. Oh, this the is scope. another great collaboration, too. They did Gladiator together. They did do Gladiator together. Yeah. And and uh, can can he top Bo is Afraid in terms of performance? I think this looks like it will. It's funny because I didn't ever picture Joaquin Phoenix being a good Napoleon. He's perfect. But then when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, yeah. He's perfect. This is going to be great. Why? Because he's too tall. Too or tall. Yeah, I, I I always pictured him more like, uh, like a Paul Giamatti type. To be honest, you know, kind of like a, a shorter, stockier, balding guy that's just pissed at the world. Like like you, right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I honestly get those Hurons out of here. Phoenix isn't that tall, is he? Throw it in the fish tank. Uh, let's How find tall out. is Joaquin Phoenix? I would say he's at least. I mean, at least five eight. 510 I'll say he's 510 510 all right in my and, and look up how tall Napoleon was supposed to be I know they argue that and he used to stand on boxes like Tom Cruise but right I think it's become part of his legend that he was short he who knows the truth right it's not like we have photographs the tail of the tape we'll get to it yeah we will I, I am looking forward to that one. Nice number one pick. Thanks. What do we, you got? So my number one, I, I think why I ended up landing on this one at number one was I was not expecting much, you know? Like, okay, I was expecting something with a Miyazaki film. I had other ones in mind, like, ooh, Paul Giamatti and Alexander Payne. This is going to be incredible. But when I came across a movie called His Three Daughters, 
I only was really seeing the movie because of the cast. I was very interested. It stars Kiri Kuhn, who is Steppenwolf uh, alum here, uh, Natasha Leone from American Pie fame, who's been blowing up lately. She most recently was in Poker Face. Orange is the New Black. Yes, yeah, she's okay. awesome. And then Elizabeth Olsen, who we wow. all know and, and like. Those three play sisters who come together in a New York apartment because their dad is in hospice and is about to pass away. And it's in that like that maybe week, five days that you know someone is going to pass away and you're trying to get arrangements done. And these three sisters are all in different stages of their lives. You have Elizabeth Olsen's character who is a new mom and just very excited about life and portrays that she has kind of like the perfect life going on. Carrie Coon is the oldest of the three. Her kids are grown, and she's almost kind of resentful with life a little bit. And then you have Natasha, who is playing a stoner that actually lived with the dad and has a boyfriend. And it, it's funny, it's sad, it's funny, it's sad, it's funny, it's sad, all the way through. So I literally caught myself crying, and I mean crying, and then laughing out loud. And isn't that so true when someone's passing away? those exact emotions when you're recapping someone's life and you're you're at peace with it being a parent or, or someone a grandparent and you have those those moments where you you cry you get emotional about yeah. something and then you start talking about their life and you start laughing about how they did this and how you know you're happy that you were around for that this movie has those beats um perfectly i mean the ending I was so emotionally moved. I literally sat in the theater through the entire credits. The just entire to gather credits. your... Th- yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't alone. I'll just say that. This theater was crowded, and I could tell most people just didn't want to get up and leave because it, it just hit you, you know? And especially if you've gone through it, like recently, if someone's lost a grandparent or parent, it's going to hit even harder. But most people have gone through it. But I, I felt comfort in it, too, because... Death is a part of life, and it's something that we're all going to go through, um, you know, being, you know, a spouse, a, a parent, you know, so on and so forth. And I think that the movie also helped with that. It, it is really special. The shocking thing is, talking to Brian uh, Tallarico afterwards, he had saw it. He also loved the movie. He was the one that informed me. It was one of the films that went to the fest without a distributor. So just like Woman of the Hour oh. that got sold— as of this recording, uh, no one still has purchased it, but it was getting a ton of buzz at the festival. So more it's to come on that up. one. Yeah. Oh, 100%. So more to come on that one. His three daughters, it's entitled. Wow. So, You know, that's an interesting little question you brought up in my mind. At TIFF, does everybody sit through the credits, or do you go ahead and get up? Most actually get up because you're in a you, rush you to, get get to get to the, the next, next screen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So the crafty veterans like Tellerico and Eric Childress, they sit together a lot of times, and they sit- Right by the exit? Right by the exit on the aisle, and they get up instantly. I mean, they are gone, because it also is tough to get out of a theater of five, 600 people. You know how it shuffles through. They're already gone. They're already in line on the next screening. I'm, I'm learning with, you know, I sat with them a couple of times, and I saw their moves. Like, oh, yep, get up and go to the here, and it works, you know? Hmm. So, Interesting. Got to be quick on your feet over there at Toronto. Those are some good lists. Yeah. A um, lot to look forward to this fall. I think we're going to have a fun fall movie season, Matt Kay. I love fall. So do I. We have a movie we still got to talk about. Is it worth seeing? A Haunting in Venice. We got that. Plus Stump, Stump the Kabinsky coming up. All of that with us right after this. 
We continue our celebration with Michelle Yeoh. Instead of playing a movie clip of her as some action star, she also pops up in the very funny romantic comedy, Crazy Rich Asians. Here she plays the mother-in-law-to-be, giving uh, a very heartfelt, maybe kind of mean speech to her possible daughter-in-law. You asked about my ring. The truth is, Nick's father had it made when he wanted to propose to me because Amma wouldn't give him the family ring. I wasn't her first choice. Honestly, I wasn't her second. Gosh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. I didn't come from the right family, have the right connections, and Amma thought I would not make an adequate wife to her son. But she came around, obviously. It took many years, and she had good reason to be concerned, because I had no idea the work and the sacrifice it would take. There were many days when I wondered if I would ever measure up. But having been through it all, I know this much. You will never be enough. We should head back. I wouldn't want Nick to worry. And we are back on Cinema Jaw. Matt, before we get to that Venice review and play some trivia, we threw a few items. Quite a few. And some fun ones, too, into the fish tank. I saw Phil smiling, looking up the facts. I can't wait. Let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment! It's fish! Isn't it? DC! Wake up! Wake up! It's an old pad, it's a giant glass bowl! Hey, get some fish folk! Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a sudden message. That means Luca Brassi sleeps with the fishes. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Thank you so much for welcoming me out of the fish tank. The jokes on these guys. I'm smiling because I'm 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 on X. I'm I'm reading funny <laughs> tweets. I'm not. <laughs> oh wait, you mean you mean the the social media service? I thought you meant you were on ecstasy. <laughs> that 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 too. I'm on all the things. Whatever is not my job right now. That's what I'm doing. Uh, these facts aren't real. I'm kidding. These facts are real. Uh, <laughs> our first one: Which serial killer, real life serial killer, went on the dating game? Uh, that would be Rodney Alcala. Uh, obviously, none of us like talking about I told about you it wasn't never the heard guy who you were thinking of. Yeah. I should have looked that up while I was in here, but I didn't, and that's because of the ecstasy in Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I, you know what, though? I'm proud of me for how much under the influence and distracted I was by my telephone. I did. So how many Scorsese films are book adaptations? I did a little bit of math for this even. Uh, 17 of them are books. See? That's a lot. I'm not, I don't have time to go through and name all 17 of these like I normally would because 17 is a big number. Uh, please forgive me, Jawheads. He has, I did look up, he has directed 25 films though, uh, not counting the 16 documentaries, which I'm not even mixing in, uh, making that 17 out of 25 films about books. And Matt said 90% are book adaptations. That was my guess. 68%. Okay. Well, not 90, 17 out of 25 is still nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. 
Definitely not. He he does a lot of book adaptations. He really does. Yeah, that's interesting. The next one, I feel like we can't do two different humans disservice without. I'll start. I'm five nine. Matt, how tall are you? Uh like six foot one. Five ten. <laughs> Minus six inches. So. I, it was how tall is <laughs> I love I didn't even pick up on that I actually just bought it <laughs> I know, right. ten, wait a second well it took me a minute because I was like oh okay but then I was like wait that's one taller than me that's not true uh, <laughs> it was uh, how tall is Joaquin Phoenix and how tall was Napoleon Joaquin Phoenix five foot eight so only an inch shorter than me which I'm not gonna sit. I'm not bragging about five wow, nine by I'm, any means. I'm two but. inches taller than Joaquin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and get this: Napoleon is five six. You're four taller oh than him. Oh my god! I five well, Napoleon six. was shorter than 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 Ryan. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wing. Wow. I will say five six is really not that short. I, I, I'm I a little, agree. I'm pissed off because I have a Napoleon complex, and it's like, what? What for? I'm three inches taller than this son of a bitch. You're right, though. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is way too tall to play Napoleon. No, I mean, we're two talking inches two inches. Is He's 5'8". Napoleon was 5'6". It really isn't that far off, I guess. I, I was expecting Napoleon to be more like 5'1", 5'2". Right. Like, the stories make it sound like the dude's real little. Yeah. True. True. But if you're... Five, what What did you say, six? And five, you're just six. like a bossy guy. I guess it, it, it's like, ah, oh, the little guy, you know? Yeah. Right, instead like, of attacking like you. him. Right. Son of a bitch. <laughs> instead of attacking him for all the things he's doing wrong, it's just like, you're little. Ryan, I challenge you to get a Napoleon hat and wear it into the theater to see Napoleon. <laughs> Ryan does do That's every time he's idea. got a It's not a bad idea, you know? It's like, oh, let me take my hat off before the movie. I will say, every time Ryan's got a button up, you can't miss this guy doing that thing where he yeah. sticks his hand in his shirt like Napoleon. Because All the time. More than likely, we're going to get a press screening for Napoleon. Oh, yeah. I would probably actually be willing to do that Matt because we know just about all the film critics here so me walking into the theater with the Napoleon hat <laughs> would be almost that would be outrageous it would be awesome that would be yeah. me and Matt gotta fill up our end of the bargain and get one of those two people inflatable horse costumes and, and we'll be the horse that you ride on that would be epic we gotta make this happen oh my we gotta we gotta make this happen we really really do wow that we'll, is we'll film stuff. it we'll do a video I'm gonna make sure this happens. Oh. It's Halloween. You can you can get a costume pretty easy. I know. I'll look into it. All right, cool. Also, next week that was uh, that was some good stuff there. Next week on the show, I think we're gonna be talking Dumb Money, which is the movie okay. about the GameStop stock. Oh I, yeah, I've already seen this in Toronto. Was it good? Uh, I really enjoyed. I think you're gonna love it, Matt. So once you see that, Paul Dano. Right? Paul Dano. Also, Seth Rogen. Yeah. And Pete Davidson, okay, among others. Sebastian Stan's also in the film. Wow, so it's a stacked cast. I love a good stacked cast. Yeah, so I think we'll be talking dumb money on next week's show, and we have a guest. Hopefully, we'll we'll, we'll find that out. Yeah, Let, let's we're, confirm with the yes, guest. Yeah, before we make an announcement. But uh, indeed, so we're looking forward to that. Was that everything in there, Phil? That's all I have, at least. All right, jump back in there. You bet. Ryan, back in 2017, 
Kenneth Branagh directed and starred in Murder on the Orient Express, an adaptation of the famous Agatha Christie novel in which he played the greatest detective in the world, mustachioed Batman. I mean, Hercule Poirot. That was followed up by the 2022 adaptation Death on the Nile, and fans could see that Mr. Branagh had a franchise on his hands. This year, we get A Haunting in Venice, a decidedly creepier mystery, mixing murder with ghosts and curses. But can this spooky sleuther solve the mysteries of our heart, or is it just Scooby-Doo-Doo? Ryan and I donned our masks to find out. I'd like to begin by letting you know this is a horror movie. True, it's a murder mystery also, but the usual murder mystery beats are wrapped in a nice horror blanket that had me jumping out of my seat more than once. It's not disturbing or gory or anything like that. It's more of a spook with some well-earned frights. I was pleasantly surprised by what can sometimes be a rather formulaic genre. The second thing I need to mention is Venice. The set and setting of A Haunting in Venice is the titular city, and Kenneth Branagh really knows how to make it both shine and glower when the mood of the film calls for each. It's a sumptuous beauty of a city by itself, but here it's showcased in a period film in the most dazzling and dreary way. You can feel the dampness and drippiness ooze off the screen. Very atmospheric. Finally, before I open this up for discussion, I'd like to mention the cast. Tina Fey turns in a very stylish performance in that 1940s Dame we might see in an old black and white movie. And Dame is in air quotes, by the way, folks. Michelle Yeoh, while a bit underused perhaps, absolutely melts the screen in one monologue that had me thinking she is way too good. Seriously, an actor at the top of her game. The movie might just be worth it for her small role alone. Branagh himself is even more comfortable in the role of Poirot than ever. Truly, he is sinking into this character. His charm, humor, and bravado align perfectly on the screen. This is a mystery worth solving. Seek it out and get Spooky Season started early. So, Rye, what did you think of the actual mystery? Because I didn't talk about that in my review. Could you spot who done it from the beginning, or did you need to follow some of the clues? Oof. So, my complaint when it came to Death on the Nile... Mm-hmm. was I figured it out way too early. And this time I would say I did not have it figured out. And in fact, my guess, I, I had a guess. I think everybody goes into these movies and once we have an introduction to the character starts to think who they sure. would put money on. That's the fun. Right? My guess was wrong. And I was not sure it was wrong until way late into the movie. So they, they fooled me this time. Let's say that. And I thought I had a pretty good pick. How about you? I had no idea till the very end. I mean, because we talked about this a little after the screening. There's always those red herrings. And it's like, oh, that's not the person. That's not the person. But there was also a few dummies that weren't red herrings that you thought it was going to be them. And then it wasn't. 
So I didn't I didn't spot who it was. Yeah, this one I would say was probably the best of the the mystery trying to to figure it out. I still don't know if I'm I'm a fan of uh, the explanation of the mystery. I love when, be it Knives Out or Clue, you know, a good whodunit, when, when the explanation comes together and it's it's uh, like an aha kind of moment. Well, I, I feel those are missing here a little bit. I think you're right. I do. And I wonder if this is a flaw of the, of the original source material. I don't know. I'm not a big Agatha Christie reader myself. My mom was super into the novels. But I like a whodunit where if you pay attention, you can pick up the clues. I don't think that's the point in the Agatha Christie films that we've seen from Kenneth Branagh, because the, the explanations that Poirot comes up with, no, you're never going to have seen those things, you right. know, because right. they don't even show them. It's not a game that you can win. You just have to enjoy watching Poirot win. Right. And I, I do think like the ones that I'm referencing, you can do that. And it's even better when you go back and you watch a movie a second time, right. like uh, Knives S- Out. Or, or Sixth Sense. Where right. The, yeah. Where you go back and you're like, oh, look at that. Look at that. There's I clues along the way. If you went back and you watched this, you would still not see anything that actually tips the hat to who the no. killer was until Poirot comes out and just spells it out for you. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess it makes sense. It, one scene, and I'm, I'm not giving anything away, no spoilers. In one scene, there's a character that we didn't know was in the scene. And Poirot reveals that to to, to everybody. Ha, ha, you know, there's no way we could have known that. Right. Like, there's no tipping of the hat. There's no clues that you can follow as an audience member. I agree. I'd like to see more of that. I don't know if that's in the, the novels or not. But anyway, um, speaking of the novels, there's a bunch of them. I think she wrote like 20-something novels. How many of these Agatha Christie movies do you think Branagh has in him? I mean, how many more is he going to make? Well, I would say this is the best of the three. I agree. So we're, we're on an upward swing right here. But it was I, I would actually, um, I mean, I thought Death on the Nile was the worst of the three. That's, that's where I'll go. So I would say ranking hmm. them. I would put it at um, number one being A Haunting you, in Venice. I'm almost positive you said you like Death on the Nile better than Murder on the Orient Express. I I, I, I can't say 100%, but I the first two, neither of them did I like love. Not that I love this one either, but I really like this one, let's say that. So let's just say it's on an upswing. And I do think these are very, uh, it's easily digestible entertainment. And- for the masses who just want to put on a good murder mystery, which a lot of people like, it makes sense. So I think we could see him make two to three more of these, to be honest. Wow. You think we're going to get five? The, the, the other thing we have to consider is they're great for large ensemble casts. They, they always super involve- great. The you know, people. Right. Yeah. So you have to take that in consideration, too. These are, are great. Like Tina Fey in a movie like this is perfect. Right, Michelle Yeoh, her character, excellent in here. So it showcases the talents because you, a lot of times it's not necessarily one actor carrying a film; it's an ensemble piece. They mm-hmm. come in, they nail their small part, and it's it's a team effort. And I think actors like that collaboration in, in a large ensemble piece in a good setting like Venice. Here's, here's so a, I I think we'll see a couple more of these. If Paul Giamatti wins the Oscar, you're predicting he's going to win this year. He's going to be in the next uh, <laughs> Agatha Christie movie. I, I guarantee. It could be. 
He could. Do, do we it. want more of these? Again, easily digestible entertainment. Uh, I could take it or leave it if I'm being a hundred percent honest. It's not something that I would be like on the, at the boardroom table saying we absolutely have to have this. Is I you know I was we need more Poirot movies. <laughs> yeah. I would not Get be on saying that. that. However, if they come down the pipeline, I'm not upset. I'll watch these movies. All right, we're celebrating Michelle Yeoh this month on Cinema Jaw. Do you agree with me? Was she a little underused? She's great in the movie. I could have used a little bit more. She is. She's great in the movie. Her character, unfortunately, doesn't call for her to be in the movie much more than she really is. Mm -hmm. And she needs to be big, powerful moment in one particular scene because that actually propels the story forward. True. So if we had more of her, I don't know if the story would have necessarily well, if you been switch... able to sort of uh, quote unquote blast off the way it did it like it really takes off after uh a moment that she's on screen and then if she was to linger on and do something else where, how would the story actually well what forward? i'm saying is if we switch her role with with tina fey's role who's tina fey is is throughout the movie right but could tina fey that doesn't mean that tina fey's performance is more important i think michelle yo it, it, we need to have that strong performance to believe this whole setting that we're under. Her particular scene, I think, is the most important. It's probably both our, our jaw-dropping moments. But that that sort of sells the whole movie. You know, it's funny. I didn't put this in my bullet notes, but but you, you kind of brought up this question for me. What do you think of the horror element? So we saw this in that Dolby Atmos theater. Yeah, very it, loud. Very loud. I mean, you laughed at my reaction of jumping a couple of times. I because did. I You're am hilarious. So, so jumpy. I mean, when there's a loud jump scare, I, I do get airborne out of the seats. You, you really, it. it's yeah. true. Jawheads, if you think we're exaggerating, Ryan, literally, there's air. Yeah, it's like, I'm so jumpy at, the, at that stuff. And it got me at least three times where I, I, at least, where I went airborne out of the seat. And so, that was fun, and I love the setting of Venice. Um, and Venice at night and storming with, with the water. There's some creepy parts of this movie, like Poirot's sort of losing his mind. He's seeing things. And the, I, the I lighting. It, the lighting of the movie, because they're inside, you know, that house that loses power, and they got to use, you know, candles and whatnot. So there, there was the lighting of it, the idea that Michelle Yeoh's character is talking to the dead. I thought that horror element is good. You calling it a horror movie wouldn't go that far. I think it's a horror movie. I, I'm I, not saying I'd it's say like it's this... a murder mystery with a tinge of horror. I'd say it's a horror movie with a very strong murder mystery theme. <laughs> it's it, yeah, it's semantics, it's, as you like to say. Maybe it's semantics. There's there's less mystery and more horror. I I don't know. I I thought the horror element was pretty well done here. Um, all right, here's my last question. I didn't mention any of the major flaws. Did we did we go over them? I feel like we've touched on them a little bit. Yeah, I, I think... Let's the, nitpick. The, the problem that I have with these movies all the time, and, and what I had told you walking out, and you did touch on this a little bit, is that they, they always give a couple of characters uh, the vibe that, okay, this is the person who did it. They steer you... Oh, sure, you, the red herrings. The red herrings. They steer you towards... The red herons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom, boom. They steer you towards a couple of characters all the time. Yeah. Well, that's what they're supposed to do. I know. But in this case, I think they do it too much. Too much to the point where I even said to you, 
it, it's the red herring is a red herring. Right. It's already over the top. Like, okay, I know it's not this person because you're going so crazy to get me to think that. What if it was that person, you know? That's what they're, they need to do. They're not smart enough uh, movies that are, you know. Well, they're based on books. I, I wonder if they changed the... Maybe. The... I've never read an Agatha Christie myself. Maybe I did when I was in grade school, but I don't remember it. But um, Same. I, I, I think that would be a, somewhat of a nitpick for me. How about you? Not too much. I mean, I think that at least this movie was pretty tight. It really was. Um, I don't know who the actress was that plays like the main female protagonist she's she's like the matron of this house that they're in her performance was a little lackluster tina fey was great man i'm trying to think of a good nitpick here but i don't really have any that basement scene you say this isn't a horror movie man it was pretty scary i yeah that's it for me i mean just just that one performance was a little left a little to be desired otherwise i thought this was probably no not probably this is the best um, Kenneth Branagh, Agatha Christie adaptation we've gotten. I, I, I agree with that. My jaw-dropping moments was the seance scene with Michelle Yeoh and more or less the follow-up scene of Perot solving the mystery on how she does some of her tricks. Now, that's not, that to, say, yeah. not to say that she doesn't have the ability to talk to the dead, but there's things being uh, done in the room to help enhance the situation that they're in to give everybody this uh, idea that something big is happening in the room. And those are just like tricks of the trade. And it reminded me very much of when Daniel Craig solved the murder mystery in Glass Onion of the actual yeah, in dinner like 10 party, seconds, right? Yeah. It's the murder mystery dinner party. And they're like, well, this is what was going to happen. He, he just goes through the whole entire thing and solves it. it. Didn't it remind you a little of that? It was like, he just knew this, this, and this. This is how this is done. Um, I, I didn't put that together until just now, but yes, you're absolutely right. I enjoyed that. And that was a, a good like comedic beat because that's not the mystery of the movie. So I'm not spoiling anything here, Jawheads. That's just like one beat in the film. And then the mystery really takes sure. place and then goes forth from there. But that I thought was excellent. That's when I was like the most invested in the movie. I think if anything, I got a little tired with trying to figure it out. It was a little tiresome, but not terrible. I still like this movie. I'm positive, but that was the high point for me. Okay. So here, here's what I think. All right. My jaw dropping moment is the ghost of the little girl. And I won't elaborate because I think it would be spoilers if I did. But I think the reason this one stands up above the other two, and the reason why I'm calling it a horror movie is because there is an element of the supernatural in here that obviously a guy like Hercule Poirot, who's a skeptic, is trying to reconcile throughout the whole movie. Like, is this or isn't this happening? Am I losing my mind? There are things that I can't explain going on. And that is what made this a little bit better because as the audience, we don't know. It's presented in a way that we're not sure if it's real or not. You know, it, it was like a, an adult Scooby-Doo, you know, and I kept waiting to find out who the mask was going to get pulled off of. It was scary and good. And that's why I put the, the, the little girl ghost, because he sees somebody who shouldn't be there. And are they or are they not there? Mm -hmm. Wonderful. That was good. That was good. As far as a movie poster <clears throat> quote, I went with a haunting good time. I'm sticking with the Scooby-Doo thing. And I said, Brana, Scooby done it. Mm -hmm. Scooby snacks. How many how many jaws are you giving this so one? So I went two and a half jaws. 
think you're being a little tight on the jaws there, buddy. Whoa, yeah? Yeah, I went three and a half. <laughs> oh. Maybe I'm being generous. Split yeah, the, split the difference. Generous. Let's call it three. Too generous on, on your behalf. But, Let's uh, just call it an even three. Two and a half for Rye the Movie Guy. Three and a half for Matt K. This is a, a great movie. Venice. Lots of fun. Don't talk it up too much. It's a very solid movie. It's not no, I great. think you need to bring it up a bit. It is playing in theaters everywhere. Jawheads, if you see it, let us know what you think. Shoot us an email, feedback at cinemajaw.com. Shoot us an X. Shoot, we are at especially, especially for Phil. So They like the X. We are going to play some Stump the Kabinsky. Five questions. You need three or more correct, Matt. Got it. We are playing Michelle Yo movie trivia. Hey, yo. I forgot. I'm going to do this in <laughs> Sylvester Stallone's accent. That would be annoying to the Jawheads. Here we go. They, they love the Sylvester. <laughs> no less annoying than our Seth Rogen laughing, so I say we give it to Matt. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Cut it out. Cut it out, Seth. All right, here we go. Question number one. Are you ready, Matt? I am. Michelle Yeoh was in one Marvel movie. Name it. Oh. Um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. That is correct. You gave me a Marvel movie question? Nice, right? Yeah, thank you. Question two. Michelle Yeoh was in the original Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in the year 2000. Was she in the Netflix sequel, Sword of the Destiny, in 2016? It's a yes or a no. Yeah. Total guess on my part. 50-50 chance. 50-50 chance. Yes. That is correct. Question three, Matt. Can you keep it perfect? With its... March 25th release date, Everything Everywhere All at Once became the earliest release to win Best Picture since this film in 1991. What film came out early in the year, won Best Picture in 1991? Wow. Okay. Um, hmm. 91. God. Man, I almost have absolutely no idea. Don't know. That is incorrect. You blew it! We were looking for Silence of the Lambs. Mm. Got to give me a, a clue, like, are the lambs still screaming, Clarice? Yeah, that, a clue. <laughs> More like a layup. Yeah. Spell right. out the answers. You um, would have enjoyed this with some fava beans. It is... Three questions in, Matt has two correct. Question four, are you ready? Mm -hmm. Michelle Yeoh was in one Danny Boyle-directed film. It also starred Chris Evans and Killian Murphy and had to do with Our Dying Son. Michelle Yeoh was in a Danny Boyle-directed film that starred Chris Evans, Killian Murphy, and had to do with Our Dying Son. Chris Evans, huh? The Snowpiercer? That is incorrect. You blew Come it! On. We were looking for Sunshine. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Mm. I, I still can win, right? You can. Okay. It's the last question. I is love it a when Marvel it comes question? down to this one. No, but you should be able to get it. Matt, in 2016, Michelle Yeoh starred in Mechanic Resurrection. Which actor plays the lead in the Mechanic movies? You have the mechanic, and you have mechanic resurrection. It's an action star. Which actor plays the mechanic, the lead actor? Well, okay. 
Sylvester Stallone is in the Expendables. Um, and Denzel Washington is the Equalizer. Uh, Vin Diesel is the Pacifier. Um, the Rock, he's in um, The Rundown. Damn it. Who? An action star? Oh, Jason Statham. Matt, that is correct. Wow. That was one of the best process of elimination. <laughs> Can you believe I got to that one? No, I really can't. That's crazy. He's like, well, who the hell could it be? It's got to be Jason Statham. Yep. Jason Statham, the mechanic. I saw the first mechanic movie and it was fair. You know? Have you seen the Crank movies? I saw the first Crank also. I hear okay. those are actually kind of fun. Yeah, that one was enjoyable. Doesn't he have to like electrocute himself? Yeah, to... every so many minutes or something. I forget exactly what it is to keep going. Yeah, I gotta watch those. You know what? I gotta, I gotta rewatch Hardcore Henry. I love that movie. Watched that one not too long ago on uh, like Pluto TV kind of yeah. deal where I caught it and I ended up watching like 40 minutes of it. I was like, this is fun. It's nonstop, right? <laughs> it is. It's a good movie. Anyway. Matt is not stumped on yes. Michelle Yeoh trivia. Well done, Matt K. Hell yeah. Save that silly raccoon. Brings us to the end of a great jaw. First and foremost, we got to thank Phil. Thank you so much. As always, I know you guys are getting sick and tired of hearing out. You're going to hear about it until it happens. I got the art show, the Pancakes and Booze at Reggie's in Bridgeport, uh, September 29th and 30th. I hope to see you guys there. And in the honor of me, and we'll put Matt in here too, because both of us, are, our birthdays are around the same time. Ryan pointed out my birthday was this past Monday. This is the first jaw where everybody has been over 30 Honestly, probably since the Reno days, I, I really think. That's what I was guessing was the Reno days. Right. Yeah. Or the late Elias years. We, we'd have to really double check that. Depending on how late the Elias years, me and TJ were here. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Fat hands TJ. Always forget about fat hands. How could you forget? I know. Hands that size. <laughs> <laughs> It's a big oh, hands. That's good times. That is good times right there. Matt, we also got to thank our Patreons. Hey. Thank you, Patreons. Are we going to record something right now for we the Patreons? Are. You know, I saw, like I said, just about 20 movies over at Toronto, so I'm going to do a little bit further recap on movies I didn't touch on here on the main podcast for the Patreons as a little extra. If you want to join us over on Patreon, it would mean the world to us. Just head on over to Patreon slash CinemaJaw. I should say Patreon.com slash CinemaJaw. Do it. Absolutely. Another way you can... Support us, and an even easier way is just by leaving us a review or a star rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, where, wherever you're listening to this, pull your phone out of your pocket and just click some buttons because I'm sure that will help us. If you see a little heart or a little star, tap it. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay, and, and keep, keep on John about, about the movies. movies.